This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. My name is Nick, and I have read all of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 9 of the AMC series titled Schwanzkopf. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic and by extension any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 3, Episode 9, so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. We're also g2tpodcast on Twitter, and you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com. And tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-P-O-D-N-E-T. And pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K and Gojo, who have pledged at the level of $10 plus per month. Uh, Schwanzkopf, I believe, translates to dickhead from German. Uh, how's my pronunciation? Sounds good to me. As the as the German expert. In the room. In the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Good title. Makes sense. I get it. I guess, kind of. I don't know. It feels like, you know, they do focus on it a little bit this episode. So yeah. we'll get there. Uh, yeah, here we are. Sorry about the delay in the last episode. It's out there on the feeds. If you somehow missed episode eight, we did put a recap out the day before this one has made it out. So please go back and check it out if you want to go listen to that first. Mm-hmm. You should. Yeah. It does not make sense to listen to nine before eight. It's true. It's true. Traditionally, anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's start with the teaser. As the Messiah is readied for the receipt of Genesis, Jesse reveals to the Allfather that Star wanted him killed. Jesse then tricks the Allfather into letting him quote-unquote die a Christian, which allows Jesse to sneak the Shocker onto the Allfather's back. Jesse utilizes the distraction as the Shocker goes off to recover the gun that Star had hid in his pocket, and he uses it to kill the other Grail men in the room. After a scuffle with the Allfather, Jesse injects him with the Tom Brady, and then he uses the shocker on himself to have Genesis kill the Allfather. The Allfather explodes in a spectacular fashion, and Genesis returns to Jesse. This, I think, was some of the worst special effects of the show. <laughs> it just looked the worst of all of it. I don't know exactly what it was. Which part are you talking about? The explosion? Some of the explosion and some of the... I think it was the explosion layered with Genesis returning to Jesse that really, like, stood out in my mind. Gotcha. Because it just did not... It, it it looked as though I could feel the effects on top, the digital effects on top of the video, you know? It didn't... It just didn't quite all come together for me. Okay. I don't know if you felt the same way or not. But the only thing I was let down by was the magnitude of the All Fathers. Uh, that yeah. Mass. I was like, I was expecting that room should be red, <laughs> covered in like bits. No surface uncovered. No, in exactly. That entire yeah. room. I was surprised. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. It seems like there's more later. It's weird. The initial like aftermath of the explosion i was like well, that's it and then like later when he's fighting with star i was like okay there's more it seems to be more all father around here but in the moment i was like i was exp- i was braced for like 
just geysers of yeah. like like Monty Python levels of ludicrous blood flying everywhere. With how over the top his like purging that he does is, you mm-hmm. would think it would just be like a constant stream of like red. Right. And that he like broke two de- two layers of a desk like with his weight <laughs> yeah. and Jesse's weight. Yeah. 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 Uh okay what about the death of the all father it's so much better in the book okay it's so much better in the book i uh do you feel like you can share a little bit about it i i I guess i don't for people that are reading no i don't really want to because it's wrapped up in some other deaths simultaneously uh uh, maybe maybe in our season recap should we choose to do one this year (laughs) uh i can talk a little bit more about it okay well we have to see how certain some other things play out in the next uh the next uh, the the finale of this season okay uh but yeah i mean it's clever it's definitely like an arnold schwarzenegger type death like it's the kind of thing (laughs) that like he would do to a villain in like commando or something yeah i'm gonna shoot genesis at you well it's really genius actually it's not really something that i thought of is like jesse himself using genesis as a weaponizing genesis and just like shooting genesis into somebody and watching them explode the one thing that i don't really get is like why he would have needed to inject the all father if that was like a Oh, that's interesting. I I just thought it was a distraction. I was like, "You're rolling the dice here, though. What uh, if you in, what if you injected him with the right amount of whatever to balance him out and turn him into a viable host?" I was I for a half beat. I was worried that's what was going to happen. Ah, uh, yeah. And I was like, "I will throw up." <laughs> I don't know why that's always my threat is to throw up. Throw like, up it's my, like, that's, like what, the All Father. Yeah. What kind of animal in nature's defense is to just puke and run away? Because that's apparently what I am. <laughs> that's really good. No, uh. Yeah, it. I was a little thrown off by that, but if that, yeah, if it was just a distraction, I think it was just like here's a needle in your neck to like, and that makes sense because if it was finely tuned to Humperdoo, then it's not like it would necessarily work for the all. Yeah, because he and Humperdoo definitely don't have the same makeup, <laughs> morality makeup. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. The the fight, I'm actually I was a little disappointed by that too because I. It makes it makes sense that the All Father would be pretty much helpless, like without somebody to help. Like it, I get it; it totally makes sense. I was also kind of hoping that like he would be like super strong for some reason <laughs> and be able to like throw Jesse across like a the Wilson room. Wilson Fisk. Yeah, exactly. Like he can't really move, but he could like just toss you because he's so used to bearing all that weight that he at least has muscle under there. But at the same time, I was like, no, he should barely be able to do anything. <laughs> Jesse should win this handily. Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I like that he shot him like four times in the side and like he just it just absorbs nothing. it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's cool. Yeah. No, it, it was it was a it was fun enough of a fight. And and it does like the that I will say is the All Father crushing Jesse did feel like an actual threat. Like oh yeah. It, it felt you could feel it. Yeah, and, and I was I, like, this isn't good. Yeah. So so in, in that sense the All Father works as opposed to what we were saying in the previous recap. But Yeah. I wish his like intellectual menace was more along the lines of like Wilson Fisk is actually a great example. Yeah. He's a scary dude in, in every way. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the All-Father was just kind of silly until at this point I was like, oh, wow, here's a, here's an actual problem. You can't get out from under him. <laughs> I did love his line about when he reveals that Star Wars was going to betray him. He's like, you shall know then my he buttocks. he shall know my buttocks as few men ever have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, fa- the face that he puts on as he says it, too, is yeah. just like the... I know the horrors this man will see. Yeah, it's amazing. That was the uh, <laughs> that was pretty much the best all father moment uh, we got. Yeah, yeah. No. So he does die in the book, and uh, the way he goes out in the book is is really really awesome. 
But everything surrounding his death in the book, like they're at like the Grail Fortress. Yeah, they're at uh, Masada or whatever it's called. Where um, I forgot the name. Where Star takes Jesse in season two yes. to see Humperdinck. That's yeah. where it all goes down. Okay, and it's it's like such an outrageously like crazy. In like a movie, it would be like a crazy third act like siege on this fortress and it's so <laughs> fantastic in the book and i'm i'm really glad we got these characters in the season i'm glad we got them in the show i think that they were they were good and they were engaging the all father was kind of cool but the the climax of all of it and the setting of all of it in the book is just 10 times better than like star's office wherever it is and we talked about this last time too probably a budgetary thing yeah i get it it's more yeah. convenient also to keep them presumably somewhere in like louisiana yeah makes sense but it's another one of those unfortunate things i am both like blessed and cursed with with knowledge of of where the what the book does because it's so incredible in the book and it's just like it's one of the classic things i think preacher does so well that that we may have to look forward to in the finale where all of the forces at play in the book seem to converge on one location and just the shit hits the fan and yeah. it's so awesome. You know that the board will change coming out of that. Right. Yeah. I think one of my all-time favorite panels from Preacher, which is a, just a full page one of the saint just shooting up Grail soldiers. I sent it to Bruce actually in the in the book spoilers chat. We were talking about like some of our favorite uh, moments from the book. Yeah. It, it's from that arc. It's during that sequence. So at the same time you have Jesse and all of them there, you have the saint rolling through there and you have the all father and star and just like everything happening. And it's just, it's, it's such a page turner. You can't put it down. You're like, Oh, I have to know what happens. It's, it's just fantastic. It's like, uh, I'm trying to think what to compare it to. It feels kind of like in, uh, like cloud city or something in, in empire strikes back where like yeah. all these forces are converging there and you're like, Oh my God, like what is going to happen? It's just great. Anyway, hmm. I'm glad that they didn't waste more time with. Him. I'm glad like they got they brought him into the season. He did his thing, and now he's gone, and, and we can move on. Like I'm totally into that. I would rather the character have been lived for the appropriate amount of time in the show than be drawn out just to like get to another conclusion and me just to be exhausted by the time we finally got there. So yeah, so you're not you are a little disappointed in general with the All Father, but you feel as though he did what he needed to do. Yeah, I suppose. Like, he doesn't do... He doesn't even necessarily do a ton in the book. He's just... He is... You compared him kind of to Palpatine in the last episode, and that's kind of appropriate. He kind of shows up late in the game, uh, even though it's not that late in the book. And uh, you you get the sense that, like, he's been there kind of puppet mastering the whole thing, but he doesn't do a ton necessarily. He's not in the book for very long either. He's there for probably an arc or so. And uh, then he he expires. Interesting. All right. Uh, Act one. As the bus arrives to pick up Featherstone, Eugene, Hitler, Sidney, and the Saint, Tulip arrives to retrieve the suitcase that Featherstone has. Tulip almost manages to make off with it, but Eugene recognizes her and tips off that she's the real Tulip O'Hare. Jody recovers the suitcase and lets her be taken by Sidney. Icarius tries to explain himself to Cassidy and even convince him to taste another vampire with him, but Cassidy will not have it. After a brief fight, Cassidy accepts his death, but Icarius has something worse planned. Jesse escapes his handcuffs as Star returns to the room, and they both try to cross the bloody floor to get to Jesse's soul as it slips out of what's left of the Allfather's butt. (laughs) 
Jesse eventually wins out and commands Star to his knees, but takes some mercy on him and heads out to leave, but not without Star threatening to carry out the All-Father's plan. So, uh, the convergence of Tulip and Jody with with the Hell storyline stuff. Uh, in, in our Discord, they brought up the idea as to whether or not Eugene and 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 Tulip really ever had that much crossover, right? In in like season one or anything. And my my kind of head canon of it is like Tulip at least kind of grew up in Anvil a little bit and mm-hmm. is from there, and it makes sense that maybe Eugene might know of the O'Hares. Yeah, um, I think he knows her in some way. Yeah, he definitely has kind of a crush on her. Like he's projecting some some attraction to her I think throughout this and even when he says later I heard you were like smart and like to fight and promiscuous or somebody says something like that later I think he's kind of into her yeah um, well and it might be a little bit of his uh, projected hatred of Jesse after his extrapolator experience in season two I'm really waiting to see that confrontation yeah Jesse and Eugene yeah yeah I mean good old Eugene does his thing <laughs> screws it up for somebody <laughs> Yeah, um, it was a good scene though. I, it was quite the uh, quite the gambit she's pulling on uh, on Sydney, if that's her name. Yeah, it's a very fragile house of cards. Yeah, that just like almost works and then falls apart yeah, right at the good. end. I like that Jody was willing to just go with it. He was like, I mean, ultimately it doesn't really matter to him as long as the briefcase get, briefcase gets back to yeah. uh, to Marie, Miss Marie. But then uh, obviously things go sideways for Tulip, and she's she's on the bus. Yeah, and jo- Jody's just like, well, this is what the plan was. So right, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna go r- along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I I think uh, I was a little disappointed, and and I guess I was a little disappointed at Tulip's non-reaction to Hitler. There's like literally no like what the yeah, hell are you right. doing here? No acknowledgement. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I remember thinking something similar. Like, at what point is everyone okay with like seeing Hitler? Yeah, like nobody's questioning it at all. It's just, and you know, you had the thin guys of David Hilter or whatever while he's working at the grinder place. But <laughs> it, it with with Tulip there, I was just expecting some kind of like, how the hell did this happen or something of that sort, right. or for her to at least be like. I'm on a bus with Hitler going to hell. Like, this is where I'm at. <laughs> yep. And she could totally sell, like, a line like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anything else with the bus? Until uh, later? Yeah, not till later. Okay. Uh, Icarius and Cassidy's kind of actual confrontation. Um, it was... It, it, Cassidy just kind of accepting his death was not something i expected and it was also like it felt really sad to me him just kind of being like i'm not gonna get out of the situation oh like when he's got him pinned down yeah Yeah. and and he and he just like turns his head to to reveal his neck and and it it was just kind of like shit man he like knows he's been bested and he's at rock bottom pretty much doesn't see a way out yeah i do like that he says he'd rather be sad yeah, yeah yeah that was a good line yeah um yeah there was some really good writing for joe gilgan there even the stuff of like uh 
just him positing his arguments against Acarius of like the I kill people and set them free to set them free and like things like that is just very good. I'm saying like you're you're do you even hear what you're saying? Kind of like you think that that makes sense. Yeah, that's okay. Like no, doesn't. And then even Acarius trying to pull Cassidy into like tasting another vampire as like a drug as mm-hmm. well i think mirrors a little bit of what you were saying in the last episode of icarius getting into the drug addict side of himself a little bit yeah and and kind of using it against cassidy as well but um yeah i don't think there's a whole lot left with that but yeah up to jesse with the soul in the room uh what did you think about the scuffle on the oh god so on the good. bloody floor it was like I, I caught myself as it was happening as they were rolling around in there when he grabbed the bit of intestine to choke him with and it snapped in half i was watching it like this like <laughs> making this face like oh and then i started laughing because i was like this is so preacher like, this is very very this is right where we need to be and uh i really enjoyed it it was pretty horrifying hearing it- the noise of it slipping out of oh, yeah. the all father i immediately i was like i know exactly where this is going but then the fact that they just show this sphincter yeah. <laughs> hanging from the ceiling well even the sounds of like them slipping around the room and like the bits <laughs> of like meat that they were pushing their way past was like making me laugh really hard uh <laughs> this is weird but i just thought of this Years years and years ago, so our friend Rick, Rick and I used to be roommates, and we would always, like, whenever we'd make hamburgers or steaks, we would, like, laugh really hard for some reason at the sounds that, like, raw meat would make when you're, like, pounding it. Yep. And Rick, like, created this character in his mind called Meat, meat Hand, Hand, who had, yeah, he just said Meat Hand at the same time, who had, like, hands made of meat, <laughs> and everything he would do would make that disgusting noise, and no one could be around him, because, like, everything he would touch would just, like, squish mm-hmm. and make these gross meat noises, and that was the tragedy of meat hand was that no one wanted to be around him because his hands made the meat noises all the time and that's immediately what he I would have been it. a great gaffer for this this scene and yeah, <laughs> and just off camera the, the foley artist meat hand just yeah, touch things foley artist yes. yeah i was like gaffer he's in yeah. charge of the lighting department <laughs> yeah, yeah you know he's, he's, he, no. he's using his meat hands to you know build c stands and yeah it was uh it was really funny just me thinking about meat hand there's uh so Twice while I was watching this episode, my wife uh, wandered in to, and she has never watched this show <laughs> with me. She kind of knows. I think she started to watch the pilot like three years ago, whatever it came out, and just immediately fell asleep like 10 minutes in. She has never really seen it. She doesn't really know too much what it's about. Occasionally, she's caught glimpses of like scenes, and it's usually like Dominic Cooper, and she's like, oh, I like him and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And one moment she saw was from this episode. No, wait, you know what? It was later. I remember the first thing she saw was Hare Star like covered in blood, like talking. And she was like, what is this? Yeah. And then uh, the other one I'll, I'll mention later when it happens. But okay. uh, it was pretty funny to, to gauge her reaction. Uh, you know, imagine being a person walking in a room and just seeing somebody watching the show. You'd be like, eh. Yeah. Uh, Jesse does notice the dickhead, of course, at this point. But Yep, we got the line. Yes. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. And the joy to the world playing as they as they scramble to the file. Yeah, the music choices are starting to get a little too cheeky, I think, for me. The there, were, there were some that were really... Like in season two, it feels like when they really started to do this with like source music, and it was really good, I thought, for the most part. 
It's like the end of season two is like when he has that shootout and it's playing in, in the in the school, the classroom scene. Yeah. And uh, what's it playing? Is it um is it My Sweet Lord? I think so. Yeah. By George Harrison. Yep. Yep. I yep, think yep. so. Yeah, like that. For some reason, I liked because it. Here's what I'm going to compare it to. It's Guardians of the Galaxy one and two. Like one, it it all it was fresh, so it had that going for it. Like I'm talking about all the all the source music in it. Yeah. But it every song seemed to actually fit what was going on in a way that didn't call too much attention to itself. <clears throat> and then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 comes out. And the whole movie, I feel like I'm being beaten over the head with these songs. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, they're they're just a little too... I, it's not that the choices are bad, because I think the soundtrack is actually better in the second one, or <laughs> I like it more. Yeah. But they're just so on the nose with what's going on, maybe. Like the Blue Danube example that you brought up. Like I said, as you said, as soon as you hear it, you you have an immediate expectation, yep. and like I was willing to roll with it, but I was like, imagine if they had picked something else that was a little less obvious that you maybe hadn't ever seen in that context before. You might have been like, "Oh, this is really good." <laughs> Another all American rejects song. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, like something like that that just like it, that works, but you're not expecting it. Yeah. It might have been like so much more rewarding. And uh, then finally, by the time we do enjoy it, I'm just kind of like, okay, like it's this is kind of funny. But if it had been a different song, I might have. And I can't even think of a better example right now. Yeah, I think maybe if I was a better like Christian or religious person, I think I'd be able to figure out the kind of like context of using joy to the world as Jesse is about to recover his ability to use Genesis as like having that particular like biblical. greatness about it and i guess that the juxtaposition of that being the fact that what he needs to ingest to to use genesis has just fallen out of someone's butt <laughs> like that's true it, it, all of it <laughs> to get like the whole picture paints something interesting but I, I i agree like you're kind of hitting the 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 greatest hits of like you know orchestral music in in popular culture that doesn't necessarily like like that that George Harrison song is a song that I've heard before, mm-hmm. but it wasn't necessarily something that I was like expecting to hear in preacher that week. Yeah, exactly. And when you say something like the Blue Danube and Enjoy the World, I'm kinda like, Yeah, those are in everything. I get it. Like it's just They may be cheaper also. Well, they might be cheaper or maybe not. Maybe they're the more expensive ones yeah, because maybe. everybody wants them. But like if they would have taken the time like I, I totally get what you're saying. That makes sense to me. Small complaint. Yeah. But like, like, imagine if they had just launched into Wake Me Up Inside while they were fighting. Like, <laughs> wouldn't you have loved that? <laughs> or the reason by Who Was Stank? <laughs> yeah. If no. the reason had played while all the Humperdoos were exploding, could you even imagine? <laughs> that here's, would be... here's, what, here's my call to action. Rip that scene from the episode and set your own music to oh, it. The, the, scene, the, scene of, the scene of all the Humperdoos blowing up. Pick... Pick a song for that. That's an incredible exercise. If anybody wants to do that, we will come up with some wonderful prize for you with wh- whoever comes up with the best one or if we only get one of them. For that and if you can find a way to, to take that and the fight between Star and Jesse and put 
better songs to them. Yes, yes. <laughs> and also, there's a third category if you want to make the Ooh. poster for Let Hoover In. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that that made our Fig Newton uh, one for I, the Alienist? It was, I don't know. It was someone they, we never heard from again. Yeah, it, it was somebody who just kind of came in and did it real quick and then and then hopped out. I will I will look it up because I feel Someone bad. that was sent to us for sure. But uh, th- it was... might get the chance. We might get another sick Fig Newton reference in the second season it's of true. The Alienist. Uh, at seven is lucky on Twitter. So God, that was so good. That, yeah, if you're if you're out there, um, please and, and silently listening to our preacher show. <laughs> it's possible. It happens. All right. I uh, have they used "Son of a Preacher Man" yet in this season? I don't think so. Or I don't this think they used I mean, it in the series. That's what I meant. Probably sh- for the best. Yeah. Uh. Did they? Like I feel like, like if they maybe did, maybe in season one. Yeah, it might have been somewhere in season one, but it's so on the nose. Exactly, it could not be more on the nose. Right. <laughs> All right, for Act Two, uh, this is where we got the old timey like nuclear attack video about the apocalypse from mm, old propaganda style. Yes, with the hair star explanation over the top of it. Uh, basically, hair star threatens to perform the same apocalypse as if. Uh, the All Father was still around if Jesse does not comply. However, it also turns out that Hairstar is like, yeah, we just need to kill a certain amount of people. We don't need to kill as many people as that. Right. And then after that, we get a little bit of Hitler saying that he's been on the bus several times. Tulip is freaking out on the bus trying to open the the window. She doesn't need to be there because she hasn't died. Same thing with Eugene. Uh, so, Yeah. A few different things there. What did you think about the the nuclear Holocaust video? It was funny. Yeah, it played it. it played a lot like something out of Fallout. Yep, that's what I was gonna say. Which you know works exactly for that purpose. Um, that feels like what the Grail would do. That they yeah. would actually like bring Humperdue into a green screen studio and film him walking, and then like <laughs> set a backdrop of like a post apocalyptic <laughs> hellscape, and be like, "Yes, this yeah. is the tool." I really wanted inserts of Hair Star's face as he's narrating. Like <laughs> it started to remind me a little bit of like the the uh, brainwashing video that Zoolander watches with like Mugatu in it. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm Sally. <laughs> he's, wearing, he's wearing a curly, curly yes. blonde wig. Yes, and Hair Star's face like juxtaposed throughout <laughs> there as like the people. I liked the little skulls on like yes. the, the people that wouldn't obey and the halos and the people that would. I thought that was funny. Yep. And it's just like hipsters and like uh, hippies and stuff like that. Yeah. They are the one the di- the the dissidents. Uh, yeah, it was good. I yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there's not a whole lot about the hell bus other than, I don't know, I guess I don't really understand why Hitler's been there several times unless he's, like, tried to escape or it was yeah, part maybe, of his duties in maybe hell. Maybe he's broken out a couple times. Yeah, so that... Is this the point where Sidney tells uh, the saint the about how they're they're not dead, but... The rules don't apply anymore. It's the Wild West. Not yet. That's okay. the next okay. act. Okay. So let's get into that act. <clears throat> act three, Featherstone leaves Jody with the souls after he hits some type of animal on the freeway. Cassidy wakes up in his coffin and gets out to warn the children of blood that Icarius is a monster, but Icarius has already turned the children on Cassidy, explaining that he's the one that killed Hoover. An example must be made of Cassidy. Tulip tries to escape the hell bus by opening a hatch and throwing Eugene and Hitler's shackles on the drive shaft, but it doesn't work. Sydney informs the saint that Tulip and Eugene haven't died, but she's following orders and taking them back to hell. She tells the saint that there are no more rules, or there are no real rules anymore. 
And finally, Jesse goes to kill the Christ child, but he can't bring himself to do it, so he dresses him up like one of the Humperdoo clones and sends them all out into the world. Uh, I was real curious to what type of animal Jody hit. Did that? I thought it was the chicken. The immortal chicken. Ah. But I have no evidence for that. I didn't try real hard to figure it out, but the fact that they didn't show it and it sounded kind of weird to me, like the noise that gets made when he hits it, was just really like I thought I heard like a a chicken squawk or something. Okay. Maybe. And that might be the case. But to me, it almost made me wonder if there was, if God was intervening. Hmm. Maybe God didn't want the souls to get back to grandma maybe uh but i don't i don't know that for sure that was just kind of an inkling that i had uh cassidy waking up and being found that he's been deemed the monster that is that killed hoover at least Mm -hmm. sad very sad and yeah no just kind of rough i don't know that there's a whole lot else to say about it other than like the fact that Acarius has all of these people that wrapped around his finger that he could just kind of... It's a real bummer. I remember talking about something about something like this in the early season, or, uh, episodes ago about Acarius's ability to control them. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just sad to watch him be like, who are you going to believe? Him? and Or it was very like... Him or your lord. Your, yeah. yeah, exactly. I really... I, you know, I haven't talked about this enough. I really like the guy playing Acarius. He's yeah. really good. He's super funny. He's like, he, he feels like the, I don't want to use and, and say like low rent in a pejorative way because he's very good and he's still something different, but he feels like a poor man's like Ian McShane or something to me mm. of like, and just like, but a lot he's, younger. He, well, yeah, but he, he's just like that. He's off the shelf of venerable British actor kind of thing. <laughs> That's he like, seems like the kind of guy that would. That would play really well in an Edgar Wright movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, it, it, but it, I think he does a fantastic job, and I think it it works. He also kind of like feels like speaking of vampires, and also Graham McTavish voices Dracula on the Castlevania Netflix show. Mm. I feel like oh, he's Dracula. He's Dracula. Oh. But I feel like Icarius's Dracula is another type of Dracula that I could totally like hear in yeah, a, yeah, that in voice, like an animation, yeah, or something totally. Like that. So that you know that he he works on a lot of levels. For yeah, me, I guess definitely. Uh, yeah. Anything else about Icarius and Cassidy at this point? There's a little more in the next couple acts, I guess. I'm a little surprised that Cassidy doesn't have a few supporters in the group. Yeah. But I guess Icarius would choose his flock wisely by their ability to be persuaded. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I liked the depictions of Tulip's plan as she was like thinking through <laughs> the little it. drawings. Yeah. It funny. just, it, it was like, I like when shows kind of bring in that, like, like this weird <clears throat> metatextual element of depiction just for the audience that just kind of disappears and doesn't like, it only happens in an episode or something. Right. Like it comes like, and goes and yeah, it's that, that kind of stuff is fun. There's yeah. this weird kind of rogue element that, you can't count on. You don't know when it's going to show up again necessarily, but it works in the moment when you need it to. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that in uh, Danny Boyle, well, in Millions specifically, if you've never seen Millions. It's such a phenomenal not. movie. I 
been talking about Danny Boyle a lot actually with like other friends and that sort of thing and how his movies you can't like there are certain visual and like uh story hallmarks that you can you could be like oh like this feels like a Christopher Nolan film or this feels like a Michael Bay film or a Spielberg film or a Hitchcock film you know things that you can immediately identify visually or by the way the story is is playing out Danny Boyle's the kind of guy he has no he has no rhythm. He's a directorial chameleon. Absolutely. Every yeah. he has never made the same movie twice. He's never even made two movies that I would say are particularly similar. He carries little things, little tiny tiny things that feel like Danny Boyle, but they only feel like him because you haven't seen it yet and it yeah. feels like something he would do. Like I remember watching 127 hours and just thinking like wow, this is a good movie and then it finally hit a sequence where I was like there it is. Like that feels like Danny Boyle to me. This is why Danny Boyle chose to make this movie. But I, yeah, yeah, but but again, it's there's no reason why. And yeah. I remember while we when you and I went and saw um, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Yeah, there was a sequence in that finally where I was like, there it is. Like mm. that feels like something that Danny Boyle would bring to the table that another director wouldn't. And it's not something I've seen him do before, but it just <laughs> feels like his instinct kicking in. And I yeah. think that's really, really, really cool. And uh, I'm dying to see what he does with james bond i think it's going to be just phenomenal did did have you did you end up getting to see train spotting 2 no because i'm wondering what a sequel means in the danny boyle world uh, me too <laughs> especially i really really like the original train spotting <laughs> train spotting is one of those movies that unfortunately is is kind of wrapped up in like late teen early 20 something white guys being like it's the best movie ever and i was totally one of those people once where i like you know train spotting was like one of the top 10 best movies i'd ever seen yeah and i loved it so much and i still think it's a great movie but i feel like if i if i went back and watched it like tomorrow i would see things that i don't like about it anymore but there's still i would probably draw new things out of it that i didn't appreciate before because back then i was getting really caught up in the characters yeah and i feel like i might enjoy the story and some of the presentation a little bit more now but that movie's also tremendous because you see how many actors are in that that went on to become, you know, much bigger actors. Uh, yeah. I, the weird thing is I tried to watch it before Trainspotting 2 came out and I could not quite get into it, but I just don't feel like I was in the mood for like a Danny Boyle movie at the time. It's a and very, very particular movie. You have to be wanting to watch Trainspotting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a particular flavor. Yeah. Like it's not, it's really not like anything else. And, and even then within itself, it shifts in so many weird different directions and it's got, I don't know, it, 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 it doesn't reach the levels of despair that like Requiem for a Dream does in terms of like drug use, but at the same time it kind of does. Like it has some really dark shit that happens in that movie. Yeah. And it it gets wrapped up in in a lot of nicer things that are kind of glossier and some things work out for some characters and sometimes they don't. But uh it is a really interesting movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think uh, when I said it was a, a flavor, I was trying to think there was something else I just compared to ketchup. Uh, a conversation I had a couple days ago was, oh, <laughs> we're talking about music. I was talking about ACDC. And I was like, <laughs> ACDC is so good. I was like, they're so, so, so good. And you can you can click on like a Spotify playlist of ACDC and it's just like one fucky ass song after another. But it's ketchup. Like it's the same. Every <laughs> ACDC song feels the same. And as soon as you hear it, you're like, that's ACDC. I'm going to have a great time with this. But it's going to be the same as the last song and the next one's going to be the same. And obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit. They're not the exact same, but they're all kind of the same flavor, right? But you, you can't disagree with it. Who doesn't like ACDC, right? Who doesn't like ketchup? You meet that one person, you're like, get out of here. Like, come on. No, that was, you're going to be like, I don't like ACDC. 
I ACDC's fine. It's exactly. The most, like palatable band yeah. like rock music you're yeah. like oh yeah cool well you made me think of the converse for me and and more of an example of like the danny boyle but in the music world for me there's a band guster that mm. has been in a few different movies and things here and there uh but they're literally every time they come out with an album i'm like man i don't think i like them that much anymore and then like four years later it's always four years later <laughs> i listen to it again and i'm like holy shit this is awesome right <laughs> I was like what did i not you like just, about you this? just weren't ready for it i needed yeah. to grow up a little bit yeah, before yeah. i like listened to it and got it but they changed they've changed so much from like their first album to their second album to their third like even each album feels completely different from the next one but there's still something about it that's like oh yeah this is guster like it's it's there the dna is there but you know what's so good about that this is the this is the kind of conversation you can only have with somebody that you're friends with and that you have grown up slightly together because when you're young you want your bands that you like to make the same album yeah again and again and again and there's nothing wrong with that when you're young because you found what you liked and you're like oh man this is so good i want more of it yeah but you learn to appreciate the growth and the variety as you get older, even if it's not good. And I think this is kind of uh, this this particular thought I'm having right now is kind of spread on because I've been listening to you talking you two to me. Yeah. And uh, uh, I forgot the name of the other one. No, I, I, the, the full name, but the REM one. Are you but talking REM? REM, re me. Yeah. <laughs> the Scott Ackerman, Adam Scott uh, shows where they talk about you too. And I'm, I started listening to the REM one first because it was newer, but then I was like, no, no, no. Cause I don't know them that well, but my yeah. brother is like a U2 super fan. Mm-hmm. So growing up and as a teenager, I heard every U2 album front to back, back to front 10 times over just by association of, of living in the same house as my brother. And so I started listening to the U2 ones and they are so much more entertaining if you know <laughs> if you know the subject matter better. Yeah. But it's funny because they're talking about it and they're talking about which U2 albums are good and that kind of thing. And they're talking about how they're not going to like sugarcoat it kind of at one point and Adam Scott was like I was just listening to the episode about the unforgettable fire and Adam Scott was like yeah, like U2 has some bad songs and Scott Ackman's like, oh, for sure. And Adam Scott's like, yeah, like they have some shitty, they have plenty of shitty songs and they have plenty of like shit in their catalog. <laughs> But they're just such fans that they just either accept it or, or move yeah. on. But it's funny because they're talking about the Unforgettable Fire and the production and how they like kind of fired their old producer who had started to make them more successful. But they were like, we want to go. We want a new sound. We want to move into a new direction. <clears throat> and how they, the Unforgettable Fire feels like a departure from other stuff. But it also, with the context we have now... And with the U2 sound that we all kind of know that that was kind of a bridge to get them there and how to to them as young men and, and fans now, they love hearing that progression. Even if the song, like Scott Ackerman said, he considers it his favorite U2 album because there are two songs and he goes, I fucking hate them. <laughs> he's like, they're shitty. They're shit songs. And he's like, I skip them every time. But he says, it's a testament to how much I love the rest of the record that I consider it my favorite record. Yeah. But I just think it's fun to listen to them as guys in like, they're probably both in their 40s now, but talking about how they appreciate those kind of albums. They like that progression and, and the flavor of the band changing. And the ACDC fan is not going to be like, oh, man, (laughs) Back in Black was so much better than Highway to Hell kind of thing. I mean, it may be because it had better songs, but there's not like a huge like title shift. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember when like uh, you're talking about Guster, a band that I love that uh, is is Y, the group Y that Rick and I both like. And when Y would release new albums, I would often be like, "Eh," because I wanted everything to be alopecia, which is like probably their best album. But as they 
have grown and changed a little bit. They still sound like why they're not like huge departures, but you have to like kind of ease into this new flavor, this new kind of approach. And like, you know, uh, Eskimo snow, one of their albums was like really poppy yeah, and, and really good. But then like, uh, uh, the subsequent ones would kind of be a little bit darker and then they all kind of change a little bit and you kind of have to just be along for the ride. And if they make a, that's kind of the point I think of musicians and music and, and filmmakers and stuff is, they're going to make some bad ones once in a while and you can choose to get out of it, whatever you want to get out of it. Or, you know, you may even grow into it, into appreciating it. You know, a better example actually is Nick Cave because he's been around for so long. The bad yeah. seeds have been a long, around for so long that even when Skeleton Tree came out, I listened to the first track and I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Like, <laughs> this is really different and it's going to take some getting used to. But then like the more I listened to it, I was it started to really grow on me and then I went and saw Once More With Feeling and that kind of helped reinforce it all anyway. But that's what's cool about being a, a, a big fan of, of a group like that. And, and your example with Guster is funny because I might, like, I like the skeleton tree now, but I feel like I might, like, two years from now even, it's already been out for, like, a year and a half or something, I might look back and be like, oh, wow, this is really good. It's That's actually the way Push the Sky Away was because when it came out, I was like, I like this. It's good. But then actually when we saw them live more recently, when they played Jubilee Street live, it yeah. like melted my brain. <laughs> and I went back and listened to the song later and I was like, this is so awesome. Yeah. And the live context really changes things. Too. It does. They actually but. talked about that on, on You Talking You Too to me as well. They talked about like live versions of songs and seeing them live and how that can help also change the way a song feels. So, Yeah. No. And you're uh, it, you're, ta- you're listening to Gone to Texas, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> In case you've forgotten. Uh no yeah I it, anyway back to Danny Boyle and Tulip's illustrations of of her plan. Being <laughs> you got to see millions Boyle-ish. by the way. Millions will make you cry okay, for sure. I mean good. it's not hard to trigger you and make you cry, <laughs> but Millions the ending of Millions is one of my all time favorite movie endings. It is so 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 good, and uh, it's just such a wonderful film. If you guys listening like Danny Boyle and haven't seen Millions, do yourself a solid. It's rated PG, I think. Maybe it's PG thirteen. It's essentially a family film made by Danny Boyle, but it is so fantastic. I remember you talking about it on Film Nerds a while back and being like, I should really check that out. And of I thought about I doing it for yet. my Keyframes episode, actually, yeah. because uh, it's such a great film. And then, uh, then Sunshine was the, the Danny Boyle frontrunner. Yep. But yeah. You know, one thing, though, he works with a different DP almost every movie he does. And I and think that, that must help. The it, absolutely, it does. Yeah. Steve Jobs was a reunion of him and Alvin Kugler, who did uh, Sunshine, though. I thought that was interesting, too. Uh, and those movies totally different right yeah yeah interesting uh yeah so i don't know if there's anything else uh tulip trying to escape the bus the fact that it doesn't work i think you know i don't know you could chalk that up to the oh here curse but i always i i personally tend to think of it more of like a they're in a situation that is beyond the normal it's a hell bus that that shit would have worked on any other bus right essentially you know but uh yeah um and the the, the so, somebody i don't know if it was on the subreddit or if it was somewhere in our show spoilers our our show spoilers discord but the uh idea of someone yeah it was bruce in our discord says telling the saint that the that the rules no longer matter is the worst possible thing that the angel of death could have said to him yeah i i agree i think that was his re- his kind of reaction to that, which he doesn't react much to anything, but yeah. his, him reacting to that, he may as well have been waving his arms and <laughs> pulling his shirt up. 
So I, I wonder what type of mayhem may occur if he does get his, his weapons back uh, from hell. Because he doesn't have them yet. So. Mm-hmm. We should, or any weapons, I guess. Maybe he'll steal some Nazi weapons. I'm really... <laughs> There's a particular moment involving him in a tank from the comic that I really hope happens in, <laughs> in the next episode. That would be wonderful. It would. Um. Yeah, and then Jesse being unable to kill the Christ child and then releasing him into the world as a Humperdoo clone with all of the other Humperdoo clones. I... Uh, I don't know what song was playing. It could have been like a Kraftwerk song for all I know, but I really liked the like See assembly that? line. Like, yes. yeah, it just worked of, of like seeing all of these Humperdoos being put into the... Taking the elevators from Delos and yeah. uh, Westworld. <laughs> and just being spreading out into the world in this like weird Frogger perspective. That it, it that all worked for me really well. This is one of the moments that my wife was like, she heard the song, yeah, and she well at first she heard Humperdoo's voice and like him repeatedly like going whoa <laughs> and stuff in the room, and after like a minute and a half of that, she was like, what, what the on hell? earth? And I was like, yeah, and then she like <laughs> then that song started, and she was like sitting next to me and she like leans over. I was watching on my iPad. She like, leans over and sees all these like humperdoos and like track suits going over the escalator. <laughs> she just kind of glances at me and then goes back to what she's doing. And I was like, yeah, "It's fine." Yeah, I, it was. That was just. It felt like a very fully formed idea of like we're gonna have all these humperdoos just <laughs> yeah. make it out into the world and one immediately watching, gets hit by a car. Like I could probably watch that them getting out of that front door a thousand times and watch each and every one of them doing something a little bit different. The one yeah. that like walks into the electrical box and one of them gets hit by a car and just all of that. I was like. Okay. They had fun with that. I'm here for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm in at the idea of the Humperdoos uh, out there. Yeah. I love what... Uh, I got to attribute the credit properly in our Discord. Uh, it was either Bruce or Joseph. Bruce did the bullet points of... Uh... Uh, it was Bruce, yeah. He said, if the show keeps going, having those Humperdoo clones wandering around will turn into... Turn preacher into a series long edition of Where's Waldo. I love yeah. that idea so much. It never even crossed my mind that throughout the rest of the series we might see like a track suited Humperdoo in the background. Just a green screened Humperdoo inserted. Yeah, just, wa- <laughs> just wandering around. Oh, God, that's really good. It would be beautiful. It feels like a very comic book thing, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Joseph says, it seems like it would be easy for the Grail to figure out which of the Humperdoos is a clone, is a non clone. Only one can tap dance. But I don't know. Maybe the maybe the tap dancing gene was carried over to other clones. <laughs> Is Who it knows? a gene? Yeah, I don't maybe. know. <laughs> gene Kelly. <laughs> this is the Kelly gene. Yeah. Unless you tap dance. <laughs> the Austrian scientists like the Kelly gene. Beautiful. All right, Act Four. Jesse returns to that, Star. That, that would be amazing, though, if that if they did try to find out and they start playing the song and like they yeah. all start doing it and they're like, "Well, this doesn't help." <laughs> We're not narrowing that would it down. be really good. They just have it's like Hoover out in like Mayor Goldie Wilson's car from Back to the Future, and he's got just like a keyboard in the back trying to or like, like a round up the over the, a blimp over the city with huge speakers on it. <laughs> oh God, wonderful! Or That's the uh, the, the Dufourier rig from uh, <laughs> Mad Max just rolling through the town. 
Vampire Hoover as the Doof Warrior. Oh my God. <laughs> oh man. Oh season beautiful. Season four. Season four will be really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, act four. Jesse returns to Star and tells him to relax with Genesis. Jesse destroys the last of the Tom Brady cocktail and heads off to meet with Grandma. But not before commanding Star to never wear another hat with Genesis. Jesse uses Genesis to hitch a ride on an emergency vehicle of some kind. Cassidy, yeah, uh, we didn't see it at that point, but it is a fire truck. Uh, Cassidy gets nailed to a pool table, and the curtains are open to allow sunlight to hit him. But it will be some time before the sun hits the right angle to kill him. And Acarius wants him to give him time to change his mind about everything. And Eugene inspires Tulip to build a bomb in the bus in order to try and get out. Here Star tries on several wigs, which don't work for him, and Hoover shares that he's now a vampire to no fanfare at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, the dickhead thing to me is worth it just to see Pip Torrens trying on different so this is kind of what I was describing from yeah. the book, where you see him trying on all the different hats, and then him just saying shit when you when you, nothing works. The wi- the wigs, the way the screen even split screened, they could tell they were trying to mirror it. And yeah, I appreciated that. Uh, I liked that one of them was like a Wolverine wig <laughs> with with the mutton chops, the, chops, or the yeah. sideburns on the side there. Uh, I will say his like outburst at the end did not quite hit the notes of. Hair star for me. I, I could see that and agree with it for sure. It felt a little out of place. <clears throat> it it's it's not It is a lot like Hair Star from the comics though. I and I get that and I can see a world where it would work, but it just is missing this little bit of like I think it's just in the way that he delivers the line. Like we've never seen him that out of control, but it doesn't feel like where show star would go when he is that angry about something. Mm-hmm. I so. think uh, the reason I like it is because it's it is pushing him into that place that he is in the books where he's a little more unhinged, where it's more Roadrunner Coyote. Yeah, because before they've had this, they've obviously been adversaries, but they haven't been like nemeses. Nemesis, nemeses. Is that the <laughs> what's the what's the plural on that? <laughs> Name that movie. I know Alex knows. Uh, but yeah, now now they're at the point where they are in the book, where they're just like they're they're gonna yeah. get each other's goat at well, every and turn. Jesse like Jesse doesn't have to do this to him, but he does it anyway. Exactly, he just like wants to screw with Star. Exactly, at this, point. this that's they're right where they need to be at, and it's it's pretty good. Like I was really enjoying where they were, and then I realized by the end of the by this moment, I was kind of like, oh yeah, this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah, we're we're it's at for, that point for him to be the fist slamming. <laughs> just like yelling and the, and the camera zooming out like to show earth is like that uh, that's pretty aligned with the comics so i liked it the funniest thing to me about the wigs is that like, they, the world in the world in the real world there are many 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 wigs that are super convincing and they work really well and they're i'm sure i've met people that have been wearing wigs and i had no idea but Star's face is so ugly and distinct <laughs> that no wig will ever work for him. Yeah. And it's just so remarkable. And Bruce and other readers can back me up on this, that they, you know, once again, and, and I will never tire of saying this, and this won't be the last time I say it, <laughs> that they found Pip Torrens and someone who 
embody Star so perfectly because that that dead expression on his face is like it's like ripped from the comic. Like it's amazing. And the this <laughs> the sequence in the comic <clears throat> excuse me. The sequence in the comic is just like this and it's just as funny because his face is so inappropriate for hair that like no matter the wig, no matter what he tries, <laughs> it's not gonna work. I also love that the last hat he got to try was the big like white ten gallon hat because yeah. He does try that at some point in the book too, I think. And it's it's really, really funny. <laughs> but where do these hats keep coming from also? Like they're in this fight, he had his little like beanie on and yeah. all of a sudden he just pulls up his hat. I, I, he, I think he like, yeah. So when he comes back from getting the, the donuts or whatever he got, he's wearing like a beanie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's just, and they're the whitest possible hats you could ever find. They've been bleached like 30 times over. It's fantastic. And it's perfect i'm gonna miss star showing up in funny hats like it's been a really good gag but at the same time it's it's awesome that he's gonna just pretty much walk around with a scar on his head now or like a series of wigs yeah i was gonna say what if it is wigs now (laughs) he's just got another (laughs) no more wigs (laughs) i just want to see him walk in with wigs from like different different like movies movies yeah like like princess leia wig or something like that yeah For some reason, the first one I thought of was um, Ruby Rod from The Fifth Element. Just mm. Chris Tucker's character. Okay. <laughs> that is a weird one to think of. Anyway. Can I get the uh, Will Arnett as Casey Jones <laughs> shitty wig that I've always wanted? Oh, God. <laughs> if you want to be let in on an inside joke, we will frequently make references to shitty wigs. And uh, this, I think it stems from that. When, yeah. when they made the Michael Bay... Uh, Platinum Dunes Ninja Turtles movie years ago, the first one, and Will Arnett was cast as the cameraman. We were all hoping secretly that he would be Casey Jones. Yes. And that he would wear a shitty wig <laughs> to give him longer hair. Pushing pushing the like weird long hair away with his hockey constantly, stick. Yeah. yeah, constantly <laughs> brushing and playing with his hair. <laughs> like, it's still good. It's so good. Like why wasn't that in the movie? Why didn't I we get know. like a like a forty year old Will Arnett opposite <laughs> like, you know, twenty eight year old or whatever Megan Fox with a <laughs> shitty wig and a four CG Ninja four Turtles. Knees, yeah, CG performance <laughs> capture turtles and him constantly adjusting his hair and be like Donatello. Come and here. <laughs> his his action scenes are just him doing the same slap shot. Yeah. <laughs> like and then he, and always flipping his hair at the end of it and be like, oh, man, and making like a sports pun. Oh, my God. That was a Turtles movie we needed. Hat trick. Puck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you very much. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Yeah. So Cassidy being nailed to the pool table. Sad. Very sad. Weird. Uh, And honestly, I don't know. I mean, this is combining a little bit with Act 5. The fact that we kind of end with Cassidy, not necessarily, like, we don't know exactly what's going to happen to him as of yet. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, when we, the first moment we talked about this, when when, uh, Icarius is explaining to all of the, uh, the kids that, you know, he's monologuing and being like, oh, he betrayed us. And he said yeah. this. He reminded me of Scar from The Lion King. Like, it felt very yeah. much like Scar and then Simba when he returned and, like, the hyenas and shit. I wonder if they will turn on him eventually like the hyenas do in The Lion King and, and take him down. Interesting. Well, yeah. And, I mean, getting getting a little bit ahead in Act 5. But the it seems like that's entirely possible with the fact that Cassidy's, like, trying to get Mrs. Rosen to check up on all of the... Mm-hmm. The ones that have been sent away. The ones that are flying or flew. Um, and then 
yeah, Eugene being the instigator of building a bomb for Tulip. That's such a stupid idea. <laughs> and then it ends up triggering an idea in her mind. <laughs> that Yeah, that actually maybe works. So, I like Hoover to, uh, if that's still in this part where he talks about being a vampire. Uh, is that in this act? Well, yes. That is, he at least reveals that he is a vampire. Uh, He's had a and he significant says, lifestyle change. Yes, but it will have no effect on his job performance. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yes, he's still going to be horrible. Be an idiot, yeah. <laughs> I love the way he just decides to broach it in that moment. And then yeah. he tries to help with the wig. This is backwards. Well, and no, the wig not. that they're using looks exactly like... I assume it's a wig that Julianne Emery like is Featherstone's wearing. Like wig, it looks yeah. exactly like Featherstone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, of course, she's like, "Oh, why don't you try this one on? <laughs> you would look very handsome with it, <laughs> like something like that." But yeah, that was funny. So, <laughs> God, Hoover, so good. If you had told me going into this show from the start from season one that like hoover would wind up being like one of the best characters i'd be like get out of here <laughs> there's no way why how yeah and lo and behold malcolm barrett is that his name yes so good Beautiful. jf so good. jf yes. is it <laughs> yeah we didn't talk about that that was good jf hoover uh fj fj, FJ my bad hoover. i'm thinking yeah. of jf sebastian from blade runner or classic it- mix-up <laughs> uh yeah all right so act five uh we can kind of break this down into the smaller chunks but tulip basically setting her bomb uh her head gets hit against the window the window almost breaks and then hitler kicks it out and just as he's about to head out the nazis attack the circuit works nazis I wish they I wish they had like some more circuit works like logos or something on their uniforms. I was a little disappointed that it's just like standard swastikas or whatever, but I st- <laughs> I still don't know what's going on with this. The logic of it all. Like you've asked me to go far enough with the show that I'm already pot committed. But like how in the world is Circuit Works guy Number one, how does he have a tank? Number two, how does it get to like limbo or wherever the hell that bus is traveling? And how am I supposed to be excited about the arrival of, of the, Nazis? Of, uh, yeah, <laughs> New Age SS, the Fourth Reich, as I believe some people have been calling it. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, before that happens, <laughs> the so the second part where uh, my wife wandered in or like paid attention was when Tulip is instigating them. She like decided to lean over to see what was going on, and she was like, and then when when the angel of death said something, um, she was like, "Why is her voice like that?" And I was like, "She's from hell." She's like, "Oh," she's like, "They're all from hell," and I was like, "Well, they're on the way to hell." She's like, "Oh, why?" And I was like, "Well, it's a long story." And she then she like pointed to like Tulip. She's like, "Wait, she's from hell?" And I was like, "No." She's like, "But is she dead?" And I was like, "No, she's not." And she's like, "Oh, all right." I was like thoroughly <laughs> confused. And you're like, yeah, that's where I'm at, too. There was one other thing from that scene. I don't remember what. It was really funny that she, like, clued in on. Ah, oh, shoot. Was it something about Eugene? Or it was. Or? Oh, my God. Thank you. Because it was perfect. So, like I said, she hasn't been watching the show. She absolutely hasn't read the book. But when uh, when she's talking to Eugene, he, like, stands up. Oh, it's when the it's when the saint is walking, when Tulip's backing yep. down, and Eugene pops up, and he's like, oh, she's really sorry, that kind of thing. Uh, my wife goes... Oh my God. She's like, what is he? Some kind of like ass face. And I was like, that's exactly what he is. And she was like, Oh, and then just walked away and like left the room. And I was like, 
Good. <laughs> Preacher has achieved his desired effect. The well, fact we've always praised the press theses on. Uh, it's true. On, yeah. on, it on just was face. really funny that she, because other <laughs> she essentially filled the role that a lot of like other bystander characters do in the book, where they're like, "Oh my god, is he an ass face?" <laughs> Like the fact that it looks enough like an ass to make someone immediately go, oh, he looks like an ass. Like Cassidy does it in the show. Yeah. But in the book, there's a few times where people are like, his face looks like an asshole. <laughs> it's just really funny. And the fact that she said that, it made me laugh really hard. And then she looked at me like I was a weirdo and I thought that was super funny. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what he is. He's our face. And she was like, okay, <laughs> I'm out. It was really good. Yeah. So good on them. Yeah. It's working. Absolutely. Anything else about the tank break? I really thought I actually thought this was funny when Hitler's like adios basically and like <laughs> as Tulip's explaining the extremely detailed way in which to do it and he yeah. just leaps up and does it. <laughs> it was like like really perfectly. I was like, Oh that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh so then we get to see Cassidy and Mrs. Rosen have a little moment. Uh Cassidy asking for a bit of a beverage and she gives him some energy drink drink. But she also seems to be very. Uh, she she's been swayed by Acarius as well. She thinks he's a piece of shit. She thinks Cassie is a piece of shit. Right. But but he asked for that one last favor of having her call up all the flown vampires, particularly Lisa. Um, I really liked this scene. Yeah, there was something about it that it reminded me of something else, and I just can't quite put my finger on it. But it was just like kind of a a nice moment of two people that are like on opposite ends of one common thing, just kind of like dealing with each other directly for the first time without anybody else around. And it was just kind of nice, even though she like doesn't like him. I like how kind of folksy she is like, yeah. ah, the vampires are going to change the world. She's but still, she's still a grand, like she's still a grandma. She's right. still Mrs. Rosen. But like, even though she's, She's the straight man among all of the other crazies that are in the house. I wondered for a while if she knew exactly what they did. Yeah. And so this scene kind of confirmed that like, okay, she knows that they're vampires. She knows what's going on. Yeah. But she's just minding her own business upstairs and making a lasagna once in a while. She just really loves her grandson or son, whoever it is, whoever <clears throat> yeah, he is. We don't know. To her. Um, I loved his line about getting a beverage. He's like, energy drink? He's like, oh. I love a shot of caffeine. I've been sleeping through my own crucifixion. <laughs> it's really funny. The the other thing about it is like his last moment with her doesn't feel like him trying to save himself. It feels like him trying to like save the group. Of yeah, like it's true. I know I'm dead, but you need to do this. Yep. In order to check up on them and tell everybody that they're not there anymore you know for sure so that was it seems like a very selfless act for yeah him. this was around the point where like i said in the in the previous episode where i really really realized like okay cassidy is just going to be different than he is in the books and that's that's cool like he's just going to be a good character like yeah. uh like hoover said you're a good dude you're a good guy yeah and he just kind of was like eh. yep uh, and then, yeah, there is a little bit more with the tank. This, this is where it actually falls on its side, and the Nazis pull up. Tulip sees them. The saint is totally out cold, it seems, at least. Another, yeah, both another knockout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we already talked about knockout in the last an, episode. Knockout an invincible being. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I liked watching them fly across the bus in like succession of like just how corny it all felt of like we're never going to be able to flip a bus like that realistically but we're going to show you something to kind of like mm-hmm. yeah it was not quite the the van sequence from inception uh, no. <laughs> level of uh, body being thrown but yeah it was funny it was very comic booky yeah uh and then of course in the final moments tc makes grandma some tea Jody still hasn't made it back with the souls and there isn't any word from little Jesse. Grandma believes that he'll be back because he gave his word and she believes him because he'll be back to kill her. And that's when Jesse gets dropped off by the fire truck at the end of the Angelville Road and starts walking in. So setting up for a final confrontation there. Pretty awesome ending shot. Yeah. Yeah. Him lighting the cigarette and walking on down the road. Mm -hmm. Quite good. I have to wonder if we will get jody there in time to make any reasonable do- like i guess if yeah. jesse's got the word there's no way in hell that that's something i'm really interested to see play out yeah i think that there's a way that it might not work i forgot to talk about how f- really excited i am that genesis is back in the mix yeah. finally yeah. i was like thank God. Well, and Jesse uses it like he's just he goes right back to like using it for no real reason at all. Like he immediately is just like, oh, you know, I need a ride back. I'm going to get this fire truck. Right. It, it, his, seeing his like wanton use of it. It felt good because I missed it. Yeah. You know, and I even the first time he said something, I rewinded it because I was like, did they do anything with his eyes yet? And they didn't. God, of course. They but did. <laughs> why not? I don't understand. Why not? But uh, just do it. It's so cool. Yeah. But no, yeah, you're right. I I like having Genesis back in the mix. And yeah, like, I guess that's the thing is like, is Satan still waiting in the wings somewhere there? That's that's the the kind of outlier here that I'm I don't know how it's going to impact the ability of Genesis to work or not. Well, uh, we will see. Hmm. But she's also convinced that. she seems pretty cocky, like he's coming to kill me. She see, she suddenly has this confidence, so I think she's got some plan got in her, trick in her, her back sleeve. pocket to try to get Jesse delivered over to Satan. But uh, we will have to see. Yeah. It's definitely brewing towards something pretty cool. Yeah, so this is episode nine, so the finale's next week. Yeah, is it only an hour? Is it the regular runtime? I think so, <laughs> but I don't know for sure. Um it's going to go by quick because there's a lot that I think is going to happen that could happen that should happen really. Yeah, we'll have to see if they try to leave it on to any kind of uh, any sort of cliffhanger or anything this year because you know we had Tulip and everything. Tulip dying in the in the in the finale of the last episode or in the finale of season two, but right. You know, I guess who knows where we're going to head, but. Yeah, no, all in all, so what did you think about the ninth episode, comparing this? I liked with, it a lot more than the eighth. Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of been like a every other almost. Which Yeah, definitely, which is weird because I actually really didn't like the bus sequence that much. I felt like it was taking too long. Yeah. Where it was just kind of like, okay, we're back to this. And I think it's just the hell stuff. I just don't care. Yeah. I think it's Hitler. <laughs> I think like Hitler and the hell stuff, I'm just like not really into it. I like... Eugene a lot. I love Tulip, obviously. Love the Saint. But I want to see them 
broken free of this hell stuff because like maybe it's because I've read the books, but like there's nothing, there's not really much of anything to do with hell in the books. And so it's this, it's one of the things where I feel like this is a distraction. It's taking away from other things we could be doing that I know are better. So let's stop spending time with this. Like I'm, (laughs) my hopes for the season finale are that we put a bow on all this hell business and just move on already. I want Jesse to get back to trying to find God I want uh, him and Cass and Tulip to get reunited and like all be on the road again together. Uh, I want Eugene to do his thing where I want him to kind of split off and go into the world as ours face and we could check in with him once in a while and we can still do things that are different than the book. I'm open to that. But the basic formula of preacher to me is like the trio trying to find God, Jesse trying to find God, the two of them coming along with him because they love him. Arseface being out there doing his thing, the saint trying to catch Jesse and the grail trying to catch Jesse. And like, that's the show. Keep it, keep that as your structure and then do whatever else you want. But at this point I'm like, okay, we're about to be four years into this thing. Like we should kind of get there. Well, all right. And I guess maybe this is more of a season wrap up question, but I guess I'll ask it to you right now because it's on my mind. <clears throat> what if we, uh, what if this season ends and uh, I maybe being optimistic here, I guess, considering the ratings, but what if we get a season four is coming? It will be the final season. It's eight episodes. Ooh. What, what would you feel about that? Uh. <laughs> I guess here's your here's here's your here's your two options of preacher isn't done yet. Okay. And which would you prefer? Number one is what I just said. Okay. Of season four is the final season. It's eight you episodes. get eight episodes. Here we go. Option two, AMC cancels preacher. Preacher gets picked up by Hulu or Amazon or Netflix. Which of those two preferences? Like, what, what, what do you, what would you want to happen if you had to pick between one of those? Two? If I know it's going to get picked up by one of the other ones, that's the one I would choose. Yeah, because, and I'm not saying the show needs to go on for eight years or anything, but I think that if the show had followed the books a little more, I'd be okay with it ending in four. But they've already set up a lot of stuff to be different enough that I feel like it needs a little more time to play out. Yeah, and eight episodes would be. There's I mean, there's just no way. I mean, get if, where you want if, it to go in eight episodes. Yeah, and, it, and and with what Joseph was saying, like we we had a more of a character-driven first two seasons, and season three has been more plot-driven. That fourth season would be nothing but plot. Yeah. We'd just be racing to get to the end, and ultimately, probably nobody would like it without them revising where the book, where where the story ends, paring it down. Or that's doing the thing. Things. There's just there's so much stuff to go. And uh, they don't have to do it all by any means, but like the major beats, I feel like they still kind of have to hit. And uh, they're not even close. I mean, I think that all the stuff at Masada with the Allfather is like, I mean, it might be like the third or fourth arc of the book. It's, it's early. I mean, Angelville is like issues. What did I say when I started reading again? It's like issues. One through six or something like no, it's that? No, it's not. I think it's like, I think it's six to 11. Oh, okay. Or five to 11 or something like that. Like it's early in the books. And I think that the the majority of the Masada Allfather stuff is like pretty, almost immediately after. It's probably like around issue like 16 or something. And it's 60 issues. So there's a lot in that back half. Now the, the second half of Preacher in the comics is like pretty different than the first half. Like there's a pretty big shift in a lot of stuff. So... They don't necessarily have to do all that, but I think they should do some of it, certainly. Yeah. 
but it will take the characters and the story into a different place than I think the audience right now is acclimated to, and they might reject it. So I could see the concern. But I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking, but, you know, they've done well for three seasons, so whatever their plan is, whatever time they're given... I'm sure that they'll make good use of it. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not, by all means, I don't know anything from an insider perspective. It's not like I know that the show is like that on the bubble in this case. But you can go to the Wikipedia article for the TV series and look at kind of the ratings uh, charted. And they've kind of almost leveled off. And they've actually come back up a bit since the middle of the season. Okay. That's good. And and so I think there's a world where the show gets a season four that is ten episodes and they keep going with it if it if it keeps kind of gaining some steam. Uh and certainly AMC's done things in, like Breaking Bad lived on longer than it would have if you were just judging it off of ratings. Right. And it turned into a juggernaut. Yeah. And and so I think AMC has had the discipline in the past. I don't know if they still do. I don't know if like studio heads have changed or what the deal has been around there. But um I just feel like there's gonna be a lot of different ways this show could continue from here on out. And I wanted to get your just kind of a bellwether of like okay you know like obviously if it ends here it's going to be premature and it'll be sad and that sucks but i also feel like it is a franchise or or story that is ripe for a netflix adaptation or yeah a a second life on netflix that's the that is the thing i think it's surprising that Preachers even lasted this long. It's so shocking. Yeah. I'm getting desensitized to it because I've already read it and uh, we've been talking about it uh, on a weekly basis for a few years now. And I just feel like if you took the average viewer and they were like, saw a commercial for it and were like, oh, that looks interesting and they tried it, they would probably be like, nah, I don't know. Like, it's just so out there. Even from the get-go, you know? Like, that pilot is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, but but that's the thing. I feel like it would really thrive on something like Netflix. Yeah, because it's not like there's a ten dollar AMC. Like it's not. I wonder how the show does on Hulu. You know, I wonder if there's like way more viewers on Hulu, and maybe that's the thing that'll make them keep going. Is like the show does great after. Yeah, that's true. I I don't have cable myself necessarily. Yeah, like I don't sit down and watch cable nightly programming. But I feel like people who do, they come to TV with a certain expectation of a certain kind of story, and Preacher yeah. probably is not it. Like no. Netflix, you get people that are willing to like be like, oh, this looks weird and different and interesting. I want to check it out. They're looking for like another series to binge, and I think it would be really good yeah. in, in binge format. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it would probably find a really good following on like Netflix. Yeah. But Netflix so. is turning into, let's make our own properties machine. I yeah, I still don't understand how Netflix is alive. making money. alive. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I don't think they are. Like, I think they've, there's been a report, you know, constant reporting, constant that, like, loss leader, exactly. Yeah. But they have so much coming in all the time anyway that it kind of weirdly makes them valuable, even though they're yeah. That, I mean, that's the same with things like Uber and Lyft and whatever. Like, they don't yeah actually charge you what it would cost to give you that ride because they get angel funding and then you know they're gonna go public at some point or whatever but anyway that's the uh, midwest economics podcast (laughs) 
for the Midwest day. business nerds. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that's it for this week. We've got the the finale. It's it came quick. It did because it's the right amount of time for a season <laughs> yes. of this show. Yeah. Like I said, if there were if there were thirteen of these things, I'd be like, oh, I would throw up. Yep. I'd leave the room. My <laughs> usual my usual threat. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is, though, is I like the season enough that I... <laughs> it's the one time I kind of want more. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, is like, if you told me we had three episodes left, I'd be like, yeah, that feels like the right pace. <laughs> Four more. Four more, yeah. yeah. But like, but it, when I look at the number, if I was like, oh, if we were just over halfway done, I'd be like, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. It would, it would be a little rough. So I think, I think they made the right call there. Yeah. I mean, we'll never works. know what the other side would have been like. If they... If we could have had a little bit more grail, if we could have had the grandeur of, of more of it across more time, but it doesn't make any sense. Spending more money on more It would episodes. probably just be another episode or two worth of hell somewhere in there, which we don't need. Hell no. <laughs> we don't. So, yeah, I'm You know, good. that's crazy, too. We just got into this meat of, like, Eugene and Hitler are somewhat in the actual story, and we're like, yeah, we don't like this. Take it back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just not working. It's not working for me. I Incredible. don't know if any if it is really working for somebody. Please let us know because I would love to hear about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not opposed to it. If anybody has any positive hell slash Hitler takes on preacher, <laughs> well, maybe not the latter. <laughs> I think Hitler is something that deserves to be snuffed out. We Fair don't need it on the show anymore because yes. I'm just tired of talking about it. He should have gotten hit with the tank round. Uh, it might happen. I mean, Hitler might get run over by a tank. He might get run over by a car piloted by a humperdoo. I, I imagine mean, Noah Taylor's got better things to do. You know. Yeah, he's waiting for a call from. Wes I can't Anderson. take up that much time, though. I guess I don't know. Who knows? I love Noah Taylor, but I'm good. I remembered his name this week, so that's good. That's good. Noah Taylor also in a Nick Cave music video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unlikely uh, person to be in a music video, and he's not even in like a featured role. It's just he's there, and you're yeah. like, oh wow, all right, there's <laughs> Noah Taylor. Yep. All right. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio. And Google Play Podcasts. We're also G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can send us email at G2T Podcast at gmail.com. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, HBO's Westworld, and FX's The Alienist, which just got announced will be getting a second season that is the sequel to the novel. So please go catch up on that. Find out more about all these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread, and it is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. That's all for this episode of Gone to Texas. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher brings, but until then, go forth and speak the good word.